You're listening to the Life Nomadic Podcast, a podcast of inspiration, life lessons, philosophy, honesty, stories from the road, and, well, whatever the hell else I want to talk about. I'm your host, Brandon Collins. So let's get weird. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Life Nomadic Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Collins. How's everybody doing out there? <laughs> this is round two. Uh, got about 25 seconds, maybe a minute in, and I realized that um, the other microphone wasn't turned on. So this won't sound any different to any of you, but this might sound... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why I decided to tell you that, but I did. So that's, that's a Monday. Um, today... We have the wonderfully hilarious, caring, wise, talented, and oh-so-glamorous friend, Chris Daniels. Oh, I love that intro. <laughs> <laughs> Let's pretend that was the first time you heard that. I know, right? <laughs> but I feel like you added some adjectives, so it oh, okay. really is a different... So then I refined it. You did. Okay. And re- I mean, really elevated it at the same time, because I feel like the adjectives you added really encapsulate who I am. So thank you. <laughs> so thank you. Thanks for making me feel better about completely messing up earlier. No. Um, so let's try this again. I uh, was going through your Instagram and I saw um, on there that you are a neurospicy life coach. Mm. So I was like, what? what is that? What's mm-hmm. neurospicy? I'm so glad that you asked this question. So I feel like many people learned a lot of things about themselves during the pandemic and shutdown. Mm -hmm. And for many, uh, I would say adult millennials, we learned that um, all the quirky things that we had experienced our entire lives are actually a form of ADHD or undiagnosed autism or OCD. The beautiful range of neurodivergent traits and identities. Um, so when I learned that I and got diagnosed with ADHD, um, I didn't feel comfortable sort of taking the mantle of neurodivergent. It didn't really sing to me. And when I was on a, a, a coaching because, you know, we're all on like 80 billion Facebook groups. Mm-hmm. One of the groups that I'm in is for coaches. And this coach referred to themselves as neurospicy. And I was like, oh, I can get behind that. <laughs> that is amazing. Because I've really learned how my brain is wired differently is a superpower. And it really is what has allowed me to do what I do and do it well and be here Um Often the framework of society and life is not conducive for how my brain is wired. And so Mm. I've had to learn to modify and adapt and put on different masks in different situations. But neurospicy sounds sexy. It sounds enticing. Um, And because, uh, you know, I have learned to navigate situations with my neurodivergent brain. I can also, as a coach, help individuals come up with adaptive strategies that work for their lives if they find that they are struggling or dealing with um, issues with their own neurospiciness. Neurospiciness. Mm-hmm. Amazing. So if you're listening and you don't know what neurodivergent is, would you? 
maybe explain what that actually means? Yeah, absolutely. So neurodivergent, it's a very loaded term. I think traditionally, um, you know, neurodivergent really refer to any individual whose brain is just wired differently. So typically it was referred to individuals who have autism or on the autism spectrum, um, maybe individuals who were OCD or had ADD or ADHD. Um, So it's this really big umbrella term um, to refer to any individual whose brain is just a different flavor. Right. Hence hence the term spicy. Hence the term spicy. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like... um, uh, you take the word neurodivergent, which I would assume has some stigma to it. Um, I mean, it has the word diverge, so it's it's to diverge is to go to stray from the normal path or whatever. Yeah. And you took that word and you made it your own. You made it spicy instead. I love it. Yeah, because as you said, there's, oh, this is typical. And I feel like this is going to play into our conversation a lot today. Like there is what is deemed typical or the norm Right. And then there are those who are othered who do not fit into that mold. Right. And spoiler alert, nobody fits in the mold. No. The mold <laughs> is ridiculous and does not exist. Exactly. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things to tell people is that we're all fucked up. Like, not, no one's, yes. no one's yes. quote unquote normal. Yes. It's just, I guess, maybe the, the difference, the diversity in. Uh, and and mental capacities, mental health, all that stuff. It's just every person, even people who are very similar or seem similar are awfully, completely different in a way. And there's lots of different spices of people and of life. Yeah, I love it. Um, so you said that you were, so you were a, you're a, a, I was on your website creeping around and you were a yoga instructor, uh, um, what was the other one that I saw? I guess I could just go onto the website and look. Reference, look at the receipts. Yeah. <laughs> I love this picture of you. What is, oh, thank you so what, much. What is that? What were you doing? So you know our mutual friend, um, uh, Amanda Alvey Fannin. So yeah, yeah, yeah. this was at their wedding. Um, and so I was doing a reading and the stole and... I don't you can't really see it because my hair is just so vibrantly beautiful, but there mm. is some beautiful like purple amethyst like in my hair and these beads. And <laughs> Heather, um, our mutual friend Heather, yeah, did me up for this wedding. She was like, I have some accessories for you. You are gonna look incredible. And I did. I love I love uh, I love it. That stole's incredible. It's like fur? A fur stole. But also has the length and the very like the thinness that makes it look like like a minister, like a, yeah, like a priest thing. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Yes, um, I'm. Uh, I have my certificate of ministry as well, and I've done like eight weddings, eight or nine weddings. I want to get a stool like that for the next wedding I do, or something similar to that. Let's go shopping because honestly, I'm always looking for accoutrements in doing (laughs) ceremony. It's my favorite thing to be like, oh, I'm doing a ceremony. Well, I need to get some new outfits. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay, back on track. I have a feeling this podcast is going to be all over the place. and That's okay. I love it because we're neurospicy. And when you're neurospicy, 
Mm-hmm. You're just along for the ride. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good metaphor for just life in general. Mm-hmm. We're just along for the ride. Like life does not care that we're even here. It's going to keep doing its thing. And that's a hard pill to swallow sometimes because we want to be in control of everything. But newsflash, you are not in control of anything except for maybe what goes on here. Mm-hmm. And except even then, yourself. Yeah. <laughs> even yeah. then, that sometimes doesn't feel in control. Um, right. Back yoga instructor. Oh, yeah. That's what I wanted to do. The um, Sky Spirit Shaman Spiritual Advisor. Oh, training yeah. And coaching. Yeah. What is that all about? So, um, Denise Sheehan, who's a brilliant and beautiful um, mentor and friend um, in town, developed this program called Sky Spirit Shaman. And it's a two year, um, oh, gosh, how do you even begin to describe it? It's like an amalgamation of both. Um, shamanic practices and shamanic arts rooted in the Peruvian tradition mm. with some indigenous wisdom woven in and also some um, coaching modalities. So it's this extensive, like, look at all of your stuff, open the doorway for all of your pain and trauma and wounding to be shown to you and served up on a silver platter for an opportunity for you to heal it so that you can show up as an integrated person <sighs> and potentially do that for others. It was great. There was a lot of crying. Oh, I'm sure. So much. I spent three months in Peru. I worked for, I worked at a, um, it was called Shamanic Vida. It was a ayahuasca center. Mm -hmm. I was there for three months. Um, Yeah, I'm very aware of that. Opening the door to all of the things. Mm -hmm. It's, it becomes so overwhelming. Yeah. But then when you come out the other side, you feel like a superhero in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was really, in a lot of ways, that's what started my journey because I was a yoga instructor. I was running a theater at this point. And um, this was really my first foray into coaching, but also opened the door for somatic healing, for energy work. It really introduced me to a lot of different practices that I do for my own personal well-being, but also integrate within um, my coaching sessions with clients. Yeah. Um, and you, when you think of a life coach, I don't always, at least at least from my perspective, life coaches, you always, it always seems to be like these hard-nosed, like you got to wake up early and kick today, you know, like kick today's ass and blah, 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 blah. Which is fine, obviously, mm-hmm. and, and, I, and I do think that that's helpful to some people. However, what I liked so much about what I know about yours, which isn't a whole lot, but you take a more caring, thoughtful, um, more gentle, I guess, approach to it, and it's, it seems more spiritual. I just, this is me based off of your Instagram posts <laughs> and like just knowing you in real life. Yeah. Um, so what kind of, what kind of separates like your style of coaching versus what would be considered uh, the normal kind of coaching? I don't know if we should use that word. That's a weird word to use, but you know what I mean? Like the the more, the more um, mainstream, I guess, kind of. Yeah. There's definitely, yeah. Like a typical image of a life coach. Right. And I think we hear the term coach and again, it's a loaded term. And there's yeah. a lot of presumptions about who's this person and what our session's going to be like. I think because my journey was so varied, you know, I didn't 
start out knowing that I wanted to be a life coach. You know, I started as a yoga instructor Mm. and I thought I was going to be a yoga instructor. And then again, because of my neuro spicy brain, I always have 9 million things going at the exact same time. Mm. And there's 18 different careers that I want to pursue simultaneously. Mm -hmm. So while I was a yoga instructor, I started doing this sky spirit shamans program. And then I was like, Oh, well, you know, and I was doing a show at the time called alchemist theater. And so I was, um, you know, sermonizing and, and being this, um, I say in quotes, spiritual leader, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> it's very, uh, but we would, you know, the fusion of entertainment and art and, um, mystical, Um, musings, you know, all into this beautiful offering. And so for a while I thought, oh, okay, well, I'll also do that. I'll also do spiritual coaching and Mm -hmm. more um, shamanically inclined sessions, you know, taking people to the underworld, doing soul retrievals, Reiki healings. I thought, this is my jam. This is what I'm going to do. And I just kind of bounced around to a couple of different modalities and I think again that's a strength I'm not trained in one specific way of of doing life coaching right I've taken all these different experiences and I have integrated them and I've picked what works for me what works for my clients what I resonate with and have created in a lot of ways um this hodgepodge offering um So I think part of my background is in a philosophy called real love. And that's the foundation of everything that I do. And real love really opened up my heart to be compassionate, to be understanding Mm -hmm. of the pain and wounding that we're going through. And as a coach, like I'm really here to just facilitate your own innate wisdom and your own, um, empowerment. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm not here to um, pressure you because it's your life. Yeah. You know, and I'm very clear with my clients coming in. It's like, I will be your champion. I will, um, you know, co-create this experience with you as we go on this improvisational dance and see what's there and explore and unearth. And I'll share everything that I have with you. And then the work begins. Hmm. You are ultimately then responsible what you do beyond that session. What choices are you making? What are you putting into practice? Because you can have all the tools that you want, but if you are not committed to a daily practice of shifting and changing your mindset, your choices, how you feel in your body, then nothing's going to change. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So. And that, that, the, agency you know of 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 people is at least from my experience and what i've learned throughout the years is that's that's the only way that you can change mm-hmm. you can't you know you're not gonna be able to change anyone you can people can only change themselves and you just want to give them the tools that they that they need because a lot of times and this this goes for me um and i'm sure there's people out there who can resonate with this you know that you want to change. Mm-hmm. You just don't. You just don't know how to do the thing. Like you yeah. don't. It, sometimes I I have the tools. Even I just don't know how to use the tools. Sometimes. Yeah. Um, or I know how to use the tools, but 
I just don't. Yeah. (laughs) And that's real. And I think to your question, a compassionate witness is always, in my opinion, is always going to do infinitely more than a shaming witness. So when we're in session together, we're on the same level. Because I've fucked up my life plenty of times. I've made plenty of mistakes. I've been given so many tools that I never used or Mm. that, you know, my coaches would be like, hey, did you do that thing that you were supposed to do? And I was like, um, (laughs) I got busy. Um, I'm really sorry. And there's this fine line. There's a balance between um, being curious and holding space for that curiosity, right? Okay, so you didn't do the thing. Let's explore that. Right. Let's let's uh, see maybe what's there. Where's the resistance? Where's the blockage? Where's, um, you know, maybe that fear that yeah. is holding you back from from utilizing those tools? And then also as a coach, I'm reminding you of that agency and that power that you have. And that sometimes comes across as I'm hearing you say one thing. And your actions are communicating something else. Right. So tell me where the, dis- you know, the discrepancy is. Right. So I think when we're with people, we're humans first and foremost. I see your humanity. I see the mistakes that you've made and the choices you've made through a loving lens because I've also made similar choices mm. in my life. And there's... um. I think there's real medicine there for transformation. Yeah. And I'm sure there's people and I, and I, I'm, I guarantee that I am not guilty, but like this happens with me as well as you'll have, so you have the tools and then like you said, you're like, mm, I didn't do it. You know, I, I was busy and you make up all these excuses, but like you don't even really know why, you didn't and that's like like I think I feel like a lot of people don't understand the emotions that they're having or why they have these specific emotions and I know I know that I do at times how do you like help people with that it's a really great question so in general um I find that many of us are disconnected from our feeling body Hmm. um I don't know your experience. I'm, you know, I'm in a male body and growing up, there were definitely messages that were imparted to me about the range of emotions that I could experience Mm -hmm. in a male body. So everything that I experienced was regulated to anger. So no matter what I was experiencing, it was anger. Or if I began to express any other emotion that was shamed and, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, told, oh, well, you can't feel that way. Don't feel that way. Suck it up. Deal with it. Yeah. Move forward. And so I never really gave myself permission or was taught how to connect to my feeling body. Mm-hmm. What is the expansiveness of what I'm able to feel? So the first thing that I do with clients is I give them something called um, a feeling chart. Okay. And so to name something is to give it power. So if you ask someone how they're feeling, they might not be able to articulate to you because they don't know what's even possible. They might not even know the range of emotions or even how to begin to identify them. Mm. So 
there's this beautiful chart. It's actually used in elementary schools, um, but it's so prophetic. And it it's this color-coded chart with four different quadrants, and the axes are pleasantness level and energy level. So you can have a low pleasant feeling and a low energy, high energy, low pleasantness, etc. And so I give my clients this chart and I ask them, okay, this feeling that you're experiencing right now, would you say it's low energy or high energy? Would you say it's low pleasantness or high pleasantness? Okay, go to the chart and just look at these words. Do any of them sing to you? Do any of them resonate with you? Because to name something is to give yourself power and take power away from the thing that you're naming. Hmm. So this emotion that feels so overwhelming suddenly becomes manageable. And then I invite my clients to stay with the sensations of the feeling. So where are you feeling this in your body right now? What are the sensations associated with it? Because even as we begin to explore our emotions, we're not actually feeling our feelings. We're just talking about our feelings. Yeah. So we move into a story. Well, I think that I'm feeling this way because... And you're like, great. 20 minutes later, you have a full narrative (laughs) of everything surrounding the feeling, but we haven't actually touched the feeling. So you invite someone to go, okay... Where is this in your body right now? Okay, you're experiencing this in your chest. Is it hot or cold? Is it pulsating, throbbing, twisting, churning? What are the sensations that you're experiencing right now as a result? How is your mind manifesting this feeling? Is there a shape, a color, a motion to it? So all of these practices get us in touch with our feeling body. Because the second you move into a story, you moved out of the feeling body and you're now in the thinking body, the intellectual mind. Right. And we're not actually experiencing the feeling or emotion, just the context of it. Yeah. Wow. That's, I've never really thought about it that way, but it makes perfect sense, especially since literally the podcast I did just before this was with uh, my friend Joel, who's also uh, a life coach. He does it, um, he does a, uh, in concert with another person, um, who, so his partner, um, Emily deals with the gut and he deals with the brain and like how those two work together and, or for you and or against you. Um, and he said this thing, uh, the difference between openness and vulnerability is, Openness is you're just telling a story about whatever just happened. But vulnerability is saying how you felt about that thing. Mm. And so you bringing that up, it's not the same, but it's really, really similar. And I've never really thought about that because I know that when I get into like a, an anxious like spiral when I'm circling the drain, all I can do is I just tell stories to myself about whatever it was that happened or what's going to happen, depending on if I'm looking to the future or looking to the, looking back into the past. Um, and it's never helpful. Mm-mm. <laughs> never. <No>. And <clears throat> excuse me. Um, 
so I, while, while you were saying that thing, I was thinking to myself, I could meditate and then and and find out where that emotion is affecting my body somewhere. And like adding all these different things, like does it have a color? Does it have a feeling? Where on your body is it? I never thought that would even, I would have never even thought that that would be a thing. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that clearly works, right? So yeah. what So what happens when, when people start to um, locate where, wherever this emotion is? Yeah, so a couple things begin to happen. Um, we are more attunely aware of different emotions and how they express within our body. So we suddenly expand our vocabulary and we get really specific with the sensations, the locations, because these are all cues that our bodies are giving us as to how to navigate the emotion. Because what you were speaking to, emotions last in our body 90 seconds. Mm. And then what happens is that our mind, as a way to keep us safe, begins to catastrophize the future, begins to think about all the things that could go wrong because it's trying to keep us safe. That's its prerogative. It's there to ensure that we are prepared for whatever may arise. And so every time you replay a situation or think about a future outcome, you're just re-traumatizing yourself in some way. So... When the body tells us where an emotion is and how it's being presented, it's giving us a way to deal with the emotion, to express it, to manipulate it, to change it. So you asked earlier or talked earlier about the lack of control. Mm -hmm. So every time, say we're feeling anger, And we locate the anger in our chest and we go to that place in our chest and we sit with our anger and we see if there's any wisdom. We dialogue. We have a discourse with our anger. What might be underneath that anger? Okay. And let's say we've talked our anger to death and we've gotten everything that we need, but we still feel like that anger is in there. Mm. And maybe it's presenting it to us like um, an angry bee. Or maybe there's this erratic spiral movement that the anger is manifesting as. Or maybe it is this pulsating red color. Okay. Can you take whatever image or whatever movement your mind is representing that anger as? Can you take it out of your body? And can you change it? So if it is a angry buzzing bee... What needs to happen to that buzzing bee in order for it to change? Okay, so you imagine maybe, right, it's like smoke chills bees out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so maybe you imagine um, some incense, some sage coming into the space, and you see that bee beginning to relax. What do you now notice in your body? I notice the anger is not as strong or it's not as powerful. Great. Or there's this erratic spiraling movement. That's how my mind is manifesting this anger in my body. Okay, can you take that movement out of your body and can you slow it down? Can you change the movement? What do you notice now in your body? Oh, I notice it's not as intense. So... When we locate an emotion in our body, 
and we tune into the way in which our bodies are representing this feeling and we begin to change and manipulate that representation, it reminds us that we are in control. It reminds us that we are in charge and that there is something that we can do. What we often do is immediately leap into the logical strategy. Okay, I'm feeling anger. What do I need to change in my external environment to not feel anger anymore? Mm -hmm. And so we'll make all of these choices from that place of anger, trying to get rid of our anger. Yeah. So we're in this problem state, trying to resolve the problem in the problem state. Right. (laughs) And... What a somatic exploration is inviting us to do is one, disassociate from the problem state. Because if you're exploring in your body where that anger is and you're asking, how is that anger representing, you become the observer. Yeah. It's now not something that you're at the mercy of. It's now something that you are a scientist and you're an exa- you're examining it. Right. And because you are now examining the anger, you've now created some space between you and that anger. And then you determining, what do you want to do with that anger? Well, now we're inviting play and fun and imagination and creativity, these resourceful exercises into our experience. So again, we're not sitting there going, oh, this anger, it's immutable. It's always going to be here. I can't do anything about it. I just have to deal with it. I just have to grin and bear it. I just have to um, wait for it to subside. Instead, we go, okay, what do I want to do with that anger? How do I want to express this anger? How do I want to honor it and acknowledge it for its wisdom because it's telling me something. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it's not wrong to feel anger. It is wrong to make destructive choices from that place of anger towards yourself and others. And I say wrong, not in a moral, right. like it's morally wrong, but wrong in the sense it's taking you away from your happiness. It's unhelpful. It's unhelpful. Yeah, it's unproductive. Yeah. Right. So you manipulating and changing, working with your anger reminds you that it's simply just there to give you a message. And then once you've received that message, you can release and let it go. And not the like yoga, you know, when you're like in a pose and a teacher's like, just release and let it go. (laughs) But like actually releasing and letting go in a way that feels so much more powerful and impactful. Yeah. Which is... On paper, it sounds as simple, but it's really, really not. Um, and I'm, and I'm sure you have, you have clients who are like, not stubborn, but like, are having a difficult time, like doing that. How, like, I've heard that I've heard the word stuck a couple of mm. times. Like, a lot of a lot of people who are life coaches, they, their their bio will say, "I'm helping you get unstuck." What is the stuck thing? Mm. Oof. That's such a great question. You ask great questions. <laughs> Thanks. It's kind of my job. <laughs> so I think most things in life are a pattern or a habit. Mm. So if you think it through that lens, that most things in our life 
our patterns and habits. When someone's expressing a feeling of stuckness, it's probably because they're engaging in a pattern of behavior and they don't want to be. Right. So how do you break that pattern? You recognize that that pattern is just a conditioning. Anything that is done with repetition becomes a pattern. So right. a thought becomes a pattern, a belief becomes a pattern, a set of behaviors becomes a pattern. So the first thing, even before we get into, is do you actually want to change? Oh, like, yeah. do you actually want to release this thing? Do you want to let it go? Because that's the first thing. I mean, I am magic. My sessions are <laughs> magic. But if you don't want to change, and I mean really change, not you feel like you should change or you feel like you ought to change, but deep within your soul, you want this change. Yeah. That's the first thing. Cause if we don't have that, there's nothing that comes after that is going to do anything. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Right. So let's say, okay, you want this change. Okay. We identify there's a decision point, Right in your life. So, you know, you're going about your day. Let's say I'll work with a lot of people on things like productivity, procrastination, right? And they're like, I want to be more productive. I don't want to avoid things. And you're like, okay, well, when was the last time specifically that you procrastinated? Because we as humans tend to generalize. We tend to say like, I procrastinate everything. I'm avoiding things all the time. Mm -hmm. And in order for change work to happen, you must get specific, because specificity is where change occurs. So when was the last time you noticed that you were procrastinating or avoiding? Okay, take me there. Okay, what were the circumstances that led up to what we would call a trigger or a decision point? Mm. And then there's something. You see something. You hear something. You experience something in your environment. It's a stimuli that then results and activates a pattern and you want a different pattern. So you disrupt that pattern, you interrupt it and you introduce a new one, right? But if you don't interrupt that pattern, it's going to be very difficult to introduce a new habit into it. And then there's so much woven into How do we change a behavior? So when you say stuckness, right? Sometimes when we talk about trauma, we talk about being frozen. Mm. We talk about that a part of us is residing in that place of trauma at the incident where it occurred. So sometimes we're trying to complete something within our life and we experience, we we there's something that we want to do. And as we begin to approach this thing that we want to do, fear comes in or anxiousness comes in or an inhibiting emotion. And remember our systems are wired for us to be safe where we are safest is exactly where we're at. Yeah. So anytime we are trying to change something or do something new or step into the unknown, the systems of our body come in and say like, Oh, but do you really know what's going to happen? Yeah. Do you really know what's on the other side of that stuckness? Mm-hmm. Maybe it sucks. Maybe it's worse. Maybe it's worse. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you'll be miserable. Yeah. Maybe you'll experience a level of pain you don't know how to deal with. 
Maybe it will actually like metaphysically end your life, mm-hmm. right? Because the ego is all about survival and fears ego death. So mm-hmm. the ego's like, oh, maybe it will change fundamentally who you are as a person and we will experience a death and that will be the worst pain that we could possibly experience. Mm-hmm. So I know intimately all the things that I can say and do to prevent you from moving forward. This is the ego talking, right? Ego is catty. Right? (laughs) And so it's like, oh, that limiting belief, I'm just going to introduce it right here. Mm -hmm. Oh, those images that are like the most frightening thing that you can experience. Let's just pop those in right as you're about to go to bed. Like just some like late night fun, right? You're trying to sleep. Oh, disaster. Mm Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about stuckness, there's a multitude of things that contribute to a feeling of stuckness. It may be beliefs that we have about ourselves or the world. It may be patterns of behavior that we are just perpetuating that are creating the same circumstance. It may be that we don't know what tools or what strategies. It also may be we don't have a vision of what beyond stuckness looks like. Because for so long, we've been butting up against this feeling of stuckness. Mm -hmm. And so, can you envision what not being stuck looks like for you? What it feels like in the body? Can you imagine that for yourself? Can you visualize it? Because sometimes we just want to be anywhere but here. Yeah. But we haven't quite given our brains the directive or our bodies the directive to be like, go there. So the more that we can, I would say, like mentally rehearse where it is that we want to go, how we want to feel, the calmer we'll feel as we step into that unknown. Right. Yeah, that's it's funny that you brought up ego because um, just last week, um, speaking with my therapist, I'm we're working through some some things, and she's like, "Your ego." just does not want you to get out of whatever this thing is because mm-hmm. it feels safe. It's known. And like, even if and I, this isn't, this isn't me necessarily just kind of in general, even if the trauma is terrible, even if um, whatever the feeling is, is horrible. It's a known feeling like your, your body, your brain, your ego knows that feeling. It knows what to expect. And then so change, like you said, is like, what if it gets worse? But what if it gets better? Mm-hmm. But what if it gets worse? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, what was I going to ask? It was something about like you said, how would one go and approach the ego and to be like, I'm not letting you do this. And, and I think it's, is it by, by imagining um, what it looks like on the other side of that stuckness is that kind of how you mitigate that that stubborn ego? I would do a couple of different approaches. So first and foremost, I see my ego in a lot of ways as my inner child. And so when I have particularly strong feelings and you know, painful feelings or I'm in my wounding and I want to stay safe, I recognize that the part of me that wants to feel safe is the part of me that's experienced pain and harm Mm -hmm. in the past. So I go to my inner child and I sit with them and I 
hear them. I see them. I acknowledge them. I give space for them to express what's on their heart, what they're afraid of. And I don't shame them that we're feeling this way. Um, And then I begin to resource them. What does my inner child need right now? What self-soothing strategies could my inner child benefit from at this moment? And then with the ego is one, detaching from who it is that I think I am. And I think so much of a coaching session is we come in with these very strong ideas about this is who I am. Yeah. This is how I am. This is how it's always going to be because this is who I am. Mm -hmm. And I think what coaches do really well is invite you to be open to the possibilities of who you could be, who you could become, and who you actually are. And so the more that we invite varying interpretations or perspectives, I wouldn't say confuses the ego, but the ego is very clear. Like the ego is very rigid. Mm -hmm. The ego is like, listen, I know everything. I'm basically God. Like I, let me tell you how it is. And there's no other interpretation of this. And you go, okay, cool. I got you ego. I'm here for it. That's definitely a thing that could happen. And I'm not here to tell you you're wrong or to um, chastise you. That could happen. What are some other ways we could look at this? What are some other ways that we could reframe, reinterpret, re-envision? And simply by doing that, inviting possibility into the conversation, the ego cannot be quite as rigid as it would like to be. And then mental rehearsal, I think, is one of the most powerful tools that we have at our arsenal. Right. It's what Olympic athletes do. It's what CEOs do. It's what individuals who are, you know, immensely successful. Right. They see themselves having already achieved the outcome that they are desiring. Right. And and more than just seeing themselves achieve the outcome, they see themselves in those moments of decision. So we talked about that trigger point, that decision. We tend to react instinctually from a pattern so they see themselves in these decision points making a different choice see themselves feeling resource they see themselves feeling confident empowered however they want to feel and they see themselves acting from this place so when the new situation arises when they get to that decision point that trigger there's a calmness that begins to pervade through the body because the brain isn't going, this is new. We don't know what to do. This is scary. The brain is accessing information and going, oh, we've already done this. Because here is the beauty of our brain. Our brains cannot tell the difference between what is real or imagined. So you meant, I know, just... (laughs) My brain just broke. Right? Do you want to know a fun party trick? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you're at a party and you have everyone bite into a lemon and just pay attention to the sensations, right? You bite into a lemon, right? It's sour. Mm -hmm. It's probably going to scrunch your face. There's a tartness. Then like 45 minutes later, you go, hey, imagine biting into a lemon 
and you will have the same experience, the same sensations as if you were biting down on that lemon. Mm. Because just imagining biting on that lemon, your brain is referencing what has occurred in the past. And it goes, oh, right. this is what that experience is like. So if you mentally rehearse you making a different decision, you showing up in a different way, when we get to that point, your brain is going to access information. How did we respond to this in the past? How right. should we feel about this? You have now have all these beautiful moments of you showing up in a resource state, making different choices or making choices from this empowered state. And all of a sudden our brain goes, oh, this is how, this is how Mm. we respond to this situation. Right. And so the more that you can not only see yourself in the outcome, that's just part of it, but also see yourself going through the process of making that decision, making that choice, showing up differently. And not just visually see yourself like you're watching a movie, but step into that moment as if you're actually experiencing it, trying it on. Right. Is a way for you to prime the body and the brain to respond to a certain way if and when that situation occurs. Right. That's that's fascinating because that's something that astronauts, um, firefighters, police, you know, military, they you you train for all these different situations so that when that situation does come up, you're not surprised by it and you know how to react to it. Mm-hmm. Baseball player, like athletes, you know, all, all those things. And I never thought to do that with your own brain. Mm-hmm. And so the more, you know, you're like, um, um, like, let's say I take like a first aid class. I learn how to do chest compressions and all the other things, CPR. And, but then if I don't rehearse it at all for an entire year, I never have to use it. I forget how to do it. And mm-hmm. so if it was to happen, I would be like, Oh my God, what's my training? Why? You know, I don't remember what to do. But if you were to constantly rehearse it, it, it solidifies it in your, in your brain. It becomes, instead of a new experience, it becomes a pattern or a condition that, that you're, that you're much easier to react to. I want to go back just a tiny bit. You, you, you've used this a couple of times and, 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 this is one thing that, that I like to to think about and to talk about with other people is you you said like I always procrastinate or I do this. You use these like absolute kind of terms mm-hmm. and then you attach an identity to it. Yes. And so I guarantee there's people listening who are like I insert thing, insert whatever, this all the time. Mm-hmm. And if you keep telling yourself that every single day, that's what you're going to become and it's going to make any kind of change or um, anything like that really, really difficult. What would be a good way to like, say, break that habit of self-identifying with whatever the thing is that makes you miserable? Uh, uh, You are just asking... (laughs) The great questions. Okay, so two things. First and foremost, actually three things. One, just be aware of your language. Yeah. In general, 
I invite all my clients to eliminate the word but and should from their vocabulary. So I offer this to your listeners as well. Eliminate the words but and should from your vocabulary. But with one T. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) But with two T's is great. Okay. But but with one T because one is a word of negation. And we tend to say all these things and then go but. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what you have said before. You have negated everything that you just said. So yep. just eliminate but and just say how you're feeling. Ugh, save yourself so much time and energy and everyone else in your life. Okay, thank you very much. Also, <laughs> should is uh, has the tinge of obligation. Right. So you should do something. What often happens is we feel shame because we don't want to do it. Yeah. And then we feel as if we ought to, or we're a bad person if we don't. So eliminating the word should and instilling it instead with I want to, Mm. or, you know, or you don't want to, right? Or I don't want to do it for these reasons. I want to do it for this reason. I'm ultimately deciding to do it. So just being aware of our language in general is such an important practice because we know that our words shape our reality. Yeah. Two. So we call this nominalization in the life coaching arena where you take a verb and you turn it into a noun. So for instance, um, taking something like, um, I was in a depressive state, or um, that um, I was anxious over that particular situation now becomes I have anxiety, Mm. or I'm anxious, I'm depressed. I'm angry, I'm a procrastinator, or you do the superlatives like I'm always this. Right. And you know, logically, that's not true. You know, you're not always a procrastinator, but you reinforce this in your mind. It suddenly becomes a pattern. Mm -hmm. So maybe in instances and places where you wouldn't typically procrastinate, now it's tied to your identity. So what would someone who is a procrastinator, how would they react in this situation? Yeah. So one of the ways you can do it is denominalization. So again, being mindful of our language, I try very hard to not say things like I am depressed because whatever you state, you perpetuate. So I will say that situation, and in particular, this thing, I had feelings of depression about, or I had feelings, you know, I had sadness about it. Mm -hmm. Or this situation, um, you know, I, I noticed some anxious sensations in my body. So it's no longer tied to my identity, It's now an experience that I had based upon context. So what that is communicating to me and anyone that I'm talking to is that there was stimuli in my environment and I perceived and interpreted that stimuli or whatever sensations I'm experiencing in the body as this feeling. Right. But I am not this thing all the time. Right, right, It's not tied to my identity. 
So even just changing how you phrase things. So um, in a life coaching session, we're always looking for specificity because in order for change work to occur, you must be specific. So we tend to talk in generalizations. I'm a procrastinator. Where do you know is procrastination showing up in your life? Everywhere. Mm. And when we generalize, you go, okay, well, where where do we begin? Where does change begin if it shows up everywhere all the time? Yeah, that's like so frustrating. Right? So you choose one instance. And... Sometimes in sessions, people are like, yeah, but it shows up in, in, I bet it does because you're experiencing it everywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. And it feels like it's happening all the time. So I'm sure there are many instances where this is occurring in your life, but in order for us to rewire the brain, in order for this change work to occur, we have to identify a specific moment. We'll get to all the specific moments. I mean, we got time, right? <laughs> right? Like we're not going to solve all of the world's problems in a 60 minute session, but for right now, let's just choose one thing. So, When we stay in the realm of behaviors, behaviors can be modified, they can be changed. When we are in the realm of identity and traits, these things, I I don't want to say because I don't want to do superlatives, like they can never change, Mm. but it is far harder to change and easier for shame to come into the picture because then people feel like there's something wrong with them. They feel like they're broken. They feel like they need to be fixed. And this suddenly becomes their narrative as opposed to I'm a human having an experience. (laughs) And sometimes that experience is not great. And sometimes I respond in not great ways. Sometimes I'm selfish. Sometimes I'm arrogant. Sometimes I'm confusing. Sometimes, you know, like sometimes I have all of those moments right? Or I'll say something confusing or I, um, you know, respond to something in a selfish way. And the more that we can stay in behaviors, the easier it is for change work to occur. And this is where compassionate understanding comes into the room Mm. because, you know, you have a very different story than I do. Right. Right. Yeah. And I couldn't possibly understand or be in your experience but there are emotions right that surfaced in these different contexts in your story there are relatable features to your story choices that you made emotions that you have felt that's where i can connect so when people come to me and they're like i'm a mess i have done all these awful things and i go okay tell me about the awful things And I go, oh, yeah, I can empathize because I have made those mistakes too, Hmm. right? And there's this humanizing element that comes back into the room where you are not unworthy or unlovable or a bad human because you made these choices. You made these choices. There may be some consequences. There may be some messes that, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you may be invited to clean up. But you're human and you made choices. And 
I am no better and I am no worse because I'm also just a human who's made choices. Mm -hmm. There's also this activity that I do with folks. It's called the I am exercise. It's really great. It, well, depends on how thorough you want to be. But you take a sheet of paper and you write the words I am in the center of the paper and put a circle around it. Mm -hmm. And then you list all the different adjectives, the identities, the labels, both positive and negative that you feel um, resonate with you. And they could be what other people have shared with you over the years or things that you self-describe. But it has to be true. You don't put something on there that someone said one time, like, you're this, and you're like, "Mm, I don't buy that, but sure, I'm going to put it on the list. It has to ring true. And then when you get this expansive list, you realize that there's all these different adjectives descriptors and they all surround this circle that contains the i am and that i am is immutable and everything else is just drag honey like you're Mm -hmm. just putting on these different experiences at different moments but they never truly encapsulate the entirety that is you that is always protected and held and shielded in this circle and you realize that i am not any one of these things I am all of these things and none of them at the same time. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. I definitely, uh, that definitely resonates with me because I, I definitely struggle with, there's so many different parts of me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a tattooer. I'm, I'm, I'm an outdoors person. I'm, I'm a thespian, if you will, you know, like there's so many different, um, parts to me and I, looking back on my life, I've had probably hundreds of jobs or close to, but let's say tens of jobs. No, that doesn't sound right. 50, let's say 50. I've had like, you know, and, and, and I never like, I have to constantly kind of remind myself that it's okay to be all the things. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be one thing. You can be all the things or you could be none of the things. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that, the, the, I am, cause like if I was to do that, it would be just, it would look like a crazy person scribbling on the walls, you know, in the insane asylum or whatever. Um, I remember I went to, oh, no, went to, but I had a, th- a therapy session a long time ago and, um, she asked me, um, what my core values were mm. and I had this like stack of, of like cards to choose from and I had to choose like 20 and then she wanted me to narrow it down to 10 and then narrow it down to five. And I remember once I got to five, once I got to 10, I got so anxious and I was like, this is not helpful because I'm not, I don't have just these three that you were supposed to get down to one. I couldn't even get past 10. And that made me even more anxious and more confused and, and, I remember she was like, okay, let's not do this. (laughs) Let's try something else because maybe some people can do that, but I couldn't do it. And I remember it, it, the, it brought so much contention into my brain and frustration Mm. and, and, and shame almost like, why can't I do this? Why can't I, why can't I narrow it down to, to these three or even this one core belief? Like, cause there's something wrong with me. And I remember that's how I felt in that session. And, after you just said that, I'm like, oh, no, it's okay to have all those different core beliefs. It's okay to have all these different identities or all these different facets of your life. 
Um, because I don't know, maybe I'm neurospicy too. And my brain just can't concentrate on one thing at a time. It has to be on all the things all the times. And instead of, you know, trying to, to fight it, I should just embrace it maybe. Yes. Yes. Embrace the neurospiciness. <laughs> Love yeah. it. Um, we've been, we've been talking about pretty much an emotional intelligence this <laughs> entire time. Um, let's, descri- let's, let's describe it. What is, what is emotional intelligence? Yeah, it's, um, so I'll, I'll share how I define emotional intelligence. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure there's like, you know, the like very official, um, emotional intelligence, I think at the core is understanding the wisdom of emotions, hmm. both yours and others. And the, um, what to then do with that wisdom, right? Emotional intelligence, you know, if you look at, you know, different folks and what they talk about it, there's four pillars, there's five pillars, there's all these different things, you know, there's self-awareness, self-expression, empathy, relationship management, resilience, and change. At the core, I feel emotional intelligence is first and foremost, do I have an awareness of what I'm feeling at any given moment? Mm. Do I have an awareness of how... I typically, what are the patterns that I typically employ when I'm feeling certain emotions? And for many of us, when we're talking about emotional intelligence, it's the emotions that we quote unquote don't want to feel or the negative emotions or the things that cause problems in our lives professionally and personally that we, um, or also how do we, how do we be happy? You know, what does that look like? How, how do I capture joy? How do I live in more static states? Um, so do I have an awareness of what I'm feeling in my body? Can I name that emotion and how it's manifesting? Can I have agency in the choices of how I express that emotion? Can I empathize with the experience of someone else? Can I recognize that they're also having an emotional experience and can I empathize with their journey? Mm. Can I navigate their emotions? Because let me tell you, we, unless you live in isolation, but we don't live in isolation. No. We are interacting with other people and people are going to have emotional reactions. Right. They just are. Right. And what we tend to do is shame people for their reactions. And we tend to want them to isolate. We want them to go away because their emotions make us uncomfortable or we want them to change. And people do feel this pressure to be happy, sunshine, cupcakes Mm. and unicorns all day, every day. It's unrealistic. Um, And then resilience and change. So when things do happen, because life is going to happen, how do we navigate that disruption? How do we navigate that change? What inspires us? What drives us? What motivates us um, in terms of our choices and behaviors? So that's kind of the overarching when we talk about emotional intelligence. That's what right. it typically means. That makes, I mean, that makes perfect sense. I like your definition. I like that you said that emotions um, have wisdom. Mm-hmm. And it, it reminds me of like our emotions have had hundreds of thousands of years to evolve 
to protect us, like you said earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we should definitely listen to them. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, sometimes people will ask, okay, so if I have a high emotional intelligence, right? Because there's all these tests that you can take to figure out what your score is in all these different parameters, right? Because there's a test for everything. Yeah, that doesn't seem helpful. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just really... It, I. Uh, it's really tough because we're talking about humans mm-hmm. and we're talking about something that's so variable, right? Because yeah. situations, we have a relationship, right? So things that happen within our relationship, it's going to be different with someone else. I'm going to have a mm-hmm. different reaction. I'm going to have a different response. Maybe they remind me of some core childhood wound that I have, or maybe yeah. there's something else that um, complicates the situation. So there's no one size fits all. And when people ask, okay, well, what does it look like when someone has like, quote unquote, high emotional intelligence? So something happens in your world and you have a reaction in your body and you're able to pause and take a moment and go, what am I feeling? Where am I feeling this? How is it presenting itself? What is the wisdom? What is it trying to tell me? Great. This is what's, you know... This is what this emotion is trying to tell me. Cool. Is my nervous system activated? Mm, it's activated a little bit. Great. Here's some self-soothing strategies that I feel I have agency and empowered to do in this moment to feel regulated. Great. I feel regulated. Oh, but this person caused harm, so I'm going to go to them if that feels appropriate and safe to do so. And I'm going to have a resourceful conversation about the ways in which their choices landed in my world. But I'm going to do it from a place of not blaming. Mm. I'm not going to make them responsible for my pain or my happiness. I'm just going to simply say, hey, here's some information for you about the ways in which you showed up, because also I'm assuming that you care about your emotions and how you're showing up and you may be unaware of how your actions are landing in my world. So here's some information, do with it what you will. Oh, I shared with you how your actions land in my world and now you are angry. I see that your anger has nothing to do with me. I realize that you are also having an emotional response and I totally get it because Four months ago, someone shared some information with me and I moved into a place of anger. And so I'm staying in a place of non-attachment, but I'm also able to compassionately show up for you in this moment. And so I'm regulated. So maybe my regulated nervous system will also help you co-regulate and that your nervous system will co-regulate together. Mm, that's not happening. That's okay. This is an improvisational <laughs> dance. Okay. So then I might go, hmm, what is it that you need right now in this moment? I'm feeling particularly resourced. I'm giving from the overflow of my well. What is it that you need right now? How might I show up for you? Mm, that doesn't appear to be working. Cool. Also don't need to stay in this conversation because I've been taught by society that it's impolite for me to leave um, actively charged situations. But I'm going to do that because I love myself and I don't need to deal with this bullshit. But I'm going to leave in a compassionate way. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go, hey, it seems like there's a lot of things happening right now. So I'm going to step away for 20 minutes and I'll check back in with you. Or maybe we can have this conversation at a different point in time, right? So I'm navigating this relationship with ease and I'm also bringing love and compassion into this place. I'm not enacting further harm. And I feel good about my choices, right? I feel that I handled it the best that I could. 
And I'm inspired and motivated to continue to show up in loving ways because I see the way in which my showing up in this resourceful place reverberates out into all of my relationships. And so I'm inspired by that because I want to make the world a better place and I'm motivated by that. And so I will continue to have practices in place that fill me up, that resource me right? And not just things like self-care, right? Which is a whole nother topic that we could talk about. <laughs> yeah. But I'm also doing active, physical, mental, emotional, maybe even spiritual practices that is a loaded, but maybe you have some spiritual practices as mm. well that you implore to continue to keep in a resourceful state because you know that shit's going to happen at some point. Mm. You know, you're going to have a bad day. You know, you're going to have a rough moment. And if you do have a rough moment, you feel that you can take responsibility, ownership, be accountable for your choices, for your mistakes, own up to the times when you have caused harm, clean up your mess, and move forward. So when someone asks, what does it mean to be highly emotional intelligence? That's that's kind of the answer that I would give. Jeez. <laughs> That like flew off your tongue with such ease. <laughs> I'm like in awe, just like staring at you. If it was only that easy. Correct. And right. I say all of that. And emotional work is the hardest work that you will do in your life. Absolutely. And it's also something you must do every day. Yeah. I don't even know. I don't even know where to, where to go from that. That was that was perfectly um, stated. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to mm-hmm. rewind that and listen to it later to really let it digest. Um, so if you're listening, you probably should do the same thing because that was a lot, but that was incredible. Um, thank you for that answer. Mm. Um, I wanted to ask you one thing that I, I think I wanted to start doing this on my podcast with anybody who's on, but I wanted to ask you. Um, tell me something that you are most proud of that you've done either for you. No, let's do it for you. What, what have you, what's the, what's your proudest moment that you've done for you? Hmm. I'm taking a moment to sit with that question. Cause I feel like there's, the typical quote unquote typical and I and so I want to I want to say with it um I feel like so we talk about like core stories right and these are the the moments that shifted your trajectory right like these are the moments where like your life was going on a certain like track and path and then you had an experience someone imparted some Yoda wisdom on you and suddenly like was a catalyst for change. So the reason why I became a coach, um, because I was a yoga instructor, I've always been quote unquote, I was one of those happy, smiley unicorn cupcakes. (laughs) Um, you're still not. (laughs) Um, I am. It's just, genuine and authentic when it's I real, am. right? Yeah. 
And so it was this mask that I was wearing because I was afraid that if I wasn't those things, people wouldn't love me and they would reject me. And I didn't realize how much stress and anger I was holding in my body at all times. And I thought I was doing so well. I'm doing yoga. I'm engaging in creative artistic expression. I'm having smoothies. Like I'm doing so great. And I had this moment that changed my life forever. I was in a, oof, I'm going to try to tell the story and not get emotional. Well, if I get emotional, it's fine. Go for it. So I was in a improv comedy troupe, the Utility Players, and it was really the reason why I moved out here to Reno in 2009 was to be a part of this troupe. And we were this comedy family. I mean, mm-hmm. weddings and funerals and holidays and all these beautiful, wonderful experiences. And we were fucking funny. We were great. We were so great. The improv was at such a high caliber. It was so beautiful. And but on the inside, well, not but on the inside, it was beautiful and on the inside. See, you got to catch yourself. Yeah, I like that. And Practice on the, what you preach. Yeah. <laughs> and on the inside, um, there None of us had the tools and the ability to navigate these strong feelings and these strong resentments and anger and blame and shame and the toxicity that we were all we were all participating in and also all impacted by. And um, in a moment of fear and pain, we the troop decided to um, not continue collectively Mm. and told this to our producer, who's also my best friend. I'm also TT, the fairy godfather to her children. And (laughs) the fairy godfather. (laughs) I love it. And it was terrible. It was probably the worst thing I've ever done in my life was to sit down from across my best friend and say, um, I don't want to do this. Um, we don't want to do this. Um, we're leaving talking about abandonment rejection wound. We're leaving and we're leaving you behind and we're moving forward without you. And it was awful. It was one of those moments where like the second it happened, I instantly regretted it. Yeah. Um, And I spiraled into this really profoundly strong depressive state. I mean, I was suicidal. I was just numbing to a degree that was unsustainable. And I was like, this is rock bottom. Like, this is that moment that people talk about. Yeah. Because in one decision... Overnight, I lost a creative artistic expression that was the lifeblood of my existence. Um, Best friends, a source of income, Mm. a dream, all of that was destroyed in one decision. And I had to understand why. I had to understand how 
we could get to this point and how like why I made that choice I became fixated on it I mm-hmm. had to know why and it really launched me on this journey of self-exploration and um, atonement. So to answer your question, the thing that I'm most proud of is I made probably one of the most destructive choices in my life that impacted many people's lives. And I was not alone, but also I take responsibility for my part in it. And I set out this journey of atonement Mm. and it was probably a two-year journey so that um that two-year training program in the shamanic arts um my best friend was also in and it started right when things went down with the utility players so now we are in this space you know, one weekend a month, confined space, delving into our deepest wounds Mm -hmm. and all of our ancestral trauma and patterns and behaviors. And there were like 10 of us. So it was intimate and um, it was a lot. And for the next two years, it was a process of ownership and cleaning up my mess and having brave conversations and putting into practice these tools that I had been dabbling with and really making a firm commitment of how it is that I wanted to be and how it is that I wanted to show up, dealing with the shame, other people's anger and judgment and disappointment in a very public arena. This wasn't just something that happened behind closed doors because... Much like Fleetwood Mac, we had a season that we had to do at a casino. So this happened and then we had to do a weekly show together. Oh, no. And all of this was happening publicly and we were going out and performing. To be funny. To be funny with each other. Wow. And it was some of the, you know, like Fleetwood Mac, it was some of the best improv um, that we had done. And I could have just said, you know what? I made this choice. I'm going to go do other things. These people are gone from my life. And that's that. And that could have been the end of that story. Instead, I had to come to terms with who was this person that could make this choice? Who is this person that could be selfish and destructive because that person lives within me. Mm. It's not just something that I picked up along the way. And I had shamed and ignored this part of me for so long. That part of me that wanted to be seen and to be heard. The fighter in me. The part of me that um, was not okay with, um, with being harmed. But for so long, I didn't think in any facet of my life did I feel like I could vocalize and talk about harm that was happening to me. Yeah. So I just suppressed it and I hit it. And who Lord, she came out and <laughs> she, it was like in a conflagration. Hmm. Everything was destroyed. 
And so forming a relationship with this person, this part of me, and doing all of the forgiveness work, forgiving myself, forgiving how others showed up, Mm. forgiving the situations, not having the tools, not having the awareness, all these choices. There were all these moments of when something could have been different. Had we just done this, had this just happened, would have been different. And then also coming to the place where like this was a catalyst, like this thing ended and it was sad and it was terrible. And now everyone's living their best life. Like everyone's doing incredible and amazing things. And it's not that this thing caused all these wonderful things to happen. And also through forgiveness and atonement and accountability and ownership and learning how to clean up my mess. Like I saved all of my relationships and have strengthened them. And now they're built on this solid foundation of telling the truth about ourselves, owning up to our mistakes, seeing each other in our humanity. My relationship with my best friend is, I mean, it's so strong and it's so solid because we literally survive the dismantling of our entire relationship in life and very slowly painstakingly rebuilt Mm -hmm. our entire existence and we now have this reference point of the thing that we were so afraid of happened i've been so afraid of being seen as a villain and then my choices self-fulfilling prophecy Mm -hmm. i suddenly became this villain In like everyone's eyes Mm -hmm. because I had a selfish, unloving human moment. And so working through that and coming out the other side of that and forgiving myself because that was the last thing. Mm -hmm. Like everything else came, but truly forgiving myself and now getting to the point I couldn't talk about it yeah I couldn't see photos of the utility players I couldn't watch footage and now like you know um our producer Jess just sent like we did these Easter photos um and so she sent photos last night to on our group text and Mm -hmm. like and it's great and will we ever perform again we've done reunion shows since then but like Probably not. We're never going to be what we were. And that's also okay. Yeah, exactly. Because we see each other, you know, everything has shifted and we accept and we love the people that we have become and and what has transpired. We didn't love what happened in Mm -hmm. the entire journey and process, but have such deep reverence and appreciation for it at the same time. That was one hell of an answer. I know. <laughs> I know because immediately I was like, oh, I just became a professional certified coach. I'm really proud of that. Yeah, and yeah, then I exactly. was like, oh, no, this this one, this well, is juicy. No, actually, that's absolutely, yeah, it's amazing because it's, I didn't want that canned answer, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I would like to hope that anyone else that I interview after this is probably going to have something similar, although I will say you set the bar real high. <laughs> <laughs> so apologies to whoever is um answering that question next actually no no apologies Mm -mm. the bar's been set that's right you're you're gonna get asked the same question Mm -hmm. let's get real let's talk about it because 
it's interesting that that your most proud moment is I would imagine one of your worst moments. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's incredible. I think that I think that's incredible and I think that that's, that's a, a um a a glaring um projection of what your level of emotional intelligence is. Mm. And that speaks volumes to the work that you've done. Um, and that it gives me inspiration to work on myself, which mm-hmm. I'm always trying to work on myself, but yeah. sometimes, sometimes it feels like I'm working on myself for the sake of working on myself, not because I need to work on myself or I don't want to use should because I'm not allowed to use should anymore. That's but, right. Um, but I, because I want to, instead of working on myself just to work on myself, I'm working on myself because I want to work on myself because I want to be a better person because if I can make myself a better person, then I can help the people around me become better versions of themselves as well. Yeah. And so, um, I, I've, I've said this before in the podcast, but I, th- but I think it's, it's something that's really important. I was asked a question in a Facebook group once. Um, if you could go back and tell, um, your teenage self something, what kind of advice would you give? And my answer was, I wouldn't. Mm. Because I'm the person I am now because of all the terrible decisions that I made or good decisions or all the things that happened to me made me who I am. And I'm pretty, for the most part, 99% of the time, super pumped on who I've become. Yeah. And so I wouldn't be able to be that person had these experiences not happened to me or because of me, and, and like in your case, right? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that was that was an incredible answer. Thank you for thank you for sharing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Of course. That was amazing. I immediately thought in my head when you asked that question, the irreverent answer of "Here are all the stocks that you should invest in." <laughs> <laughs> also, the '90s are really cool. And they're going to make a resurgence. So if anyone tells you that your love of all things 90s is trash, you can tell them to go fuck themselves. (laughs) All right. I'm going to cut out that other answer and just put this answer in. Excellent. Great. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Um, Cool. So uh, how do people find you? What are your what are your things? All the things. Mm-hmm. Well, you can find me on Instagram. It's really simple. It's just my name, Christopher William Daniels. Um, you can find my website. It's uh, yourlifeworker.com. Um, you can sign up for a discovery call with me. We just hop on a call. I hear about all the things that are happening in your life, and I share how I might be of service. Um, I also have some amazing programs that I'm launching in a couple of weeks specifically. Exciting. Yes, I'm so excited because we didn't even talk about all the mystical woo-woo magic. I know, we didn't get to it. I know, another episode. Okay. Um, but I'm really interested in the integration of mysticism and witchcraft with life coaching. Um, so I have some programs I'm launching. And because I'm a creative, um, I'm launching a program that's specifically centered on creatives because oh. I many of my clients are creatives in mm-hmm. some capacity, not just the performing arts. And oddly enough, I don't know if you know this, but oddly enough, we all struggle with the same things. Get Imposter syndrome, <laughs> a feeling of stuckness, perfectionism. Right. Yeah. And so I want to design a course specifically for creatives 
on um, dismantling their imposter syndrome and kicking perfectionism in its ass and um, getting into that flow, not just creatively, but in life, because I feel like wherever you're experiencing stuck or stagnant energy, it generalizes out. So Mm -hmm. if you're experiencing stuck or stagnant energy in other facets of your life, that's going to impede upon your ability to creatively show up in the way that you want to. We 100% should do an episode on imposter syndrome. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Especially for creatives. Cause I know, and I, I won't share too much, but, but when I first started getting good at tattooing, that mm. was really hard for me to accept that I was good at my craft. That I had spent years and years and years on to become good right so it was like all I ever wanted to do was be good at tattooing and then once I got good at tattooing I refused to admit that I was good yeah and I was like well what's the fucking point and so yeah I struggled with that for a lot I still from time to time find myself like if somebody compliments me I'll be like oh in my mind I'm like you don't know what you're talking about you have one tattoo how do you know what a good tattoo looks like Mm -hmm. instead of being like oh thank you so much I worked really hard to get to this spot um but yeah we should definitely do uh, an imposter syndrome episode and a mysticism episode. Let's just do a bunch of episodes. I'm here for it. Yes. I love it. Um, lastly, uh, what's, what's something that you let's, let's give our listeners something to go home with. Ooh. Okay. What is something? Okay. Mm. This is what we're going to do. Okay. So listeners are going to have to, Listen intently because I'm going to lead you through a my favorite pattern interrupter. Ooh, okay. Because we talked about earlier how everything is a pattern. And so one thing that you can do, and you can start doing it today, is when there are patterns, when you're engaging in behaviors that you do not want, right? It's not just something that magically happens out of nowhere, right? Like there is a, there are circumstances, there's experiences that you're having in the body. There are thoughts that are coming through that are all leading up to this choice or decision that you make. So you can interrupt a pattern. You interrupt a pattern enough time. It requires your brain to create a new neural pathway. Mm. So I'm going to teach you my favorite pattern interrupter, and it's something called faster EFT. So many people might be familiar with EFT. We're tapping. I learned this from Melissa Tears, who is a brilliant, just brilliant human being. Um, she's a New Yorker. Her clients are New Yorkers. She's like, I do not have time for like some 20 minute ordeal. Like, My clients want change now. Typical New Yorker. Yeah. So she developed something called faster EFT, which takes about a minute. And so you're going to take the three middle fingers of your right hand and whatever it is that you are wanting to release and let go of, you're going to hold it in your mind's eye. This could be a thought, a behavior, a belief, a situation that you are wanting to release. Getting back to how do you release and let go of something? Mm. We're going to teach you right now. So you're going to start and you're going to begin to lightly tap the crown of your head with the three middle fingers of your right hand. And as you're holding that image in your mind, you're going to say, I release and I let this go. Now, 
my teacher was a New Yorker, so she would always add some flourishes. I release and I let this shit go. You can add whatever it is that you want. And then you move to your third eye. And as you're tapping your third eye, you say, I release and I let this shit go. And then you're going to move to the side of your eye, finding that bone there. And again, say, I release and I let this shit go. And then you're going to move under your eye, the top of your cheek, again, finding that bone. I release and I let this shit go. And then you're going to take an open palm to your collarbones. And as you're thumping your collarbones, you're going to say, I release and I let this shit go. And then you're going to hold your right wrist with your left hand. You're going to take a deep inhalation. And you're going to exhale out twice as long. Now, you tap. That's the whole sequence. And you tap until you feel a shift. So it may take you 30 minutes of tapping, doing numerous rounds in order to experience that change. After you do the first round, you can get funky with it. You can, because there's so many different thoughts, beliefs, energies that are tied to whatever it is that we're wanting to release and let go. So you might start at the crown of your head and go, I release the need to be perfect in this moment. As you move to your third eye, I release other people's judgments of me. I release the anxiety of not being good enough. I release the worry that I will be abandoned and rejected. Whatever it is. And then whenever you're on your last round and you're at your collarbones with an open palm, I always like to add, I have released and I have let this go. So again, you're changing the language from an active, I am releasing this thing currently, to when you get at the end, you are signaling to your bodies, I have released this and I have let this go. And there you go. That was amazing. <laughs> Thank I'm gonna, you. I'm, I'm definitely going to listen back and, and do that. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it now because I was too busy listening to you and like I didn't want to be breathing into the microphone <laughs> and you just hear the background tapping noise <laughs> i know i was like oh, i'm gonna follow along and do it and then i was like nope i'm gonna hit all the equipment and it's gonna be a thing right yeah it's like <laughs> the entire time i released the quality of this podcast <laughs> awesome well thank you so much for sharing your wisdom yeah. with us that was incredible and i am really excited to not only listen to this again but um record more podcasts with you i think that'd be good yes yes it was so fun thanks for having me absolutely um and uh thanks to everyone for listening and we'll catch you the next episode okay bye bye all right well thanks for hanging out with me i hope you got something useful from this episode if this is your first time listening uh please consider subscribing so you don't miss out on any of the other fun things that we'll be talking about in the future Uh, If you enjoyed this episode, uh, I would encourage you to go to wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a little review. This really does help me grow the podcast. And of course, if you have any questions or comments or you just want to connect on all the other social medias, you can find me on Instagram at Life Nomadic Podcast, on Twitter at That Life Nomadic, Facebook.com forward slash Life Nomadic Podcast, or you can just send me an email. Life Nomadic Podcast at gmail.com. Once again, thanks for listening, 
I look forward to talking to you guys, and we'll see you in the next episode.